This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with University of Utah football star Devon Vailey. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each and every single week I bring you an inspiring message with an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, University of Utah football star Devon Vele, basketball and football star at Rancho Bernardo High School in Southern California, all league on his state championship team, invited to play in the Polynesian All-American Bowl and All-Star Football Classic, who only received two scholarship offers from small schools, shares his life and extraordinary family influences that persuaded him to serve an LDS church mission and return to walk on at Utah, where Vele quickly earned a scholarship and asserted himself as one of the premier receivers in the nation, giving us an inside glimpse into the physical, mental, and emotional preparation required to make spectacular catches and be a superstar on and off the field. This podcast episode is brought to you by the amazing Siegfried and Jensen. Not only do they support our community as a law firm, but they are obviously cut and dried University of Utah running Ute fans. Thank you so much. Hi, Stan. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, special edition, interviewing the superstars from the University of Utah football team. You know, it's so cool. I've had a chance to interview uh, Grammy award-winning songwriters, uh, billionaires, guy who started Priceline, uh, Sharks from Shark Tank on TV. I've had such an extraordinary experience. Derek Huff, Dancing with the Stars, Elizabeth Smart, who was abducted. I've had some of the most incredible guests over the course of my podcast. But this special edition where I have a chance to kind of lift up the covers and get behind the scenes and into the locker room, into the heads and hearts of these football players has been a highlight for me, having played at the University of Utah football and baseball back before any of you were born. This episode, this this interview is with Devon Vele, V-E-L-E, Vele. I think it's Polynesian for stud muffin hunk of burning love. I'm so pleased to have him on my program today because he comes out of North San Diego. We're talking Vista, Oceanside area. And he went to to uh, San Bernard. He went to San. He went to help me, dude. Rancho Bernardo. Rancho. <laughs> I'm like Saint Bernard High School. He, he went to what is it again, man? Rancho Bernardo. Dude, I know I've been there before. I've been in that whole area, Rancho Bernardo High School. And yes, we could start this recording all over again. I don't want you to do that because. Vele's the real deal. He's not putting on a show on the field any more than he puts on a show off the field. He's exactly the same young man, handsome, articulate, smart, on the Pac-12 academic honor roll. But here's the crazy thing about you, my friend. You're a walk-on. Yes, yes, I am. So when you see him and you realize that currently your your stats and weights are what? Your stats, your, your height and weight is what? Uh, six four two zero five. And when you came out of high school, you were 
I think I was like 6'2", 185. And were you, did you have blazing speed or, or what was your, what was your ace in the hole? What was your, your, your superpower? Uh, playing the ball. Uh, I, one of those things is like catching anything that goes my way. Felt like that was my, my staple in high school. Exactly. So you weren't like a speed demon. You didn't no. break any hundred yard no. records like our new quarterback Johnson <laughs> last night. No, sir. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I'm an old Raider guy and Fred Bolitnikoff I think on his best day, he ran like an 8 six forty, mm. But he caught everything within his, within his grasp. A dear friend since passed away, Todd Christensen, a Raider. I still think he should be in the Hall of Fame. He'd catch 60 passes a year as a tight end because they knew that no matter where they threw it, he would come up with the ball. And that's the reputation that we have in the stands on my 50-yard line vantage point and in the huddle. And talking to every one of your defensive players, we were just laughing with, with Junior, and he said uh, he just appreciates you on third down, knowing that when that's third and long and they're going to throw it to Vele, he's like, we don't have to go back out on the field for three more plays. <laughs> what a hoot that everybody on your team knows that you're the money guy. Throw it up and you'll go for the ball. Mm-hmm. When in the world did you learn that about yourself, that you just – put your eyesight on something and you actually have the ability to do what you have to do. In other words, it's not enough to say, I will do my best. We must succeed in doing that, which is necessary. Take us back to your youth. That's a unique talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it first starts off with uh, me and my dad. We actually used to throw the ball a lot when I was a, when I was a kid, um, just go in front of the house and just throw. And I remember he always told me the ball touches your hand. You have to catch the ball, no excuses. And so, I mean, I've kind of lived by that. I mean, that's why, like, I don't know if people see it, but in my head, like, even if there is a ball where he is overthrown or it's like, oh, it's the quarterback's fault. If it touched my hands, I take it personal because I think to myself, I should have caught that. The fact that it touched my hands, I should have caught that. So, I mean, I've lived by that that um, that standard my entire life, and I felt like that's kind of what helped me as a walk-on as well because I told myself it's not enough for me to just be catching the balls that everybody can make. You know what I mean? you got to catch the ones that nobody else thinks you can make. And so I, I feel like that's what's helped me so much as a player um, helping me in my advancement and my growth as a wide receiver. And, you know, I, I'm going to continue to live by that no matter what um, the future brings to me. You know, you remind me, uh, Devon, about when I was playing, we had this kid who was actually on a ski team at the University of Utah who wins the NCAA year in and year out. Uh-huh. He had never played football. Massive legs because of his leg strength as a ski racer. And he shows up for spring ball. He's a wide receiver, and they give him, like, some cardboard p- pads and a helmet, with, you know, with a with bent face mask. One of those dudes. They didn't uh-huh. take him seriously. And I still remember him getting in line and going out for the pass. And he would dive for every single ball, no matter what. And all the scholarship guys are flipping him crap. Come on, come on, man, hang out. Come on, dude, what are you doing? They were making fun of him. And he literally was one of the slowest guys in line. But he dived, he dove for every ball, and he ended up getting a scholarship. His name's Graham, and uh, he was all-conference wide receiver. I think his best 40 time was 6'5", or 19'7", you know. It was one of those slow guys <laughs> in the huddle. They're like, 35 dive right on, on three, Graham go on one. And I was one of those dudes. But because of that heart, because he dove for every pass, and was relentless. They had to give him a scholarship, and then he started, and then he became all-conference. Dick Graham, look him up in Ute history. And that's your reputation, dude. So you walk on 
out of high school? Did you have any scholarships coming out of Rancho Bernardo High School? <laughs> um, I actually did have a couple. Um, I got an offer from Dixie State in Southern Utah. Was that D2, D3? Uh, D1AA. Okay. Yeah. And so... Um, and Southern Utah stayed out of Cedar City? Yes. So, so why did the two Southern Utah schools come come calling and you didn't, you know, you didn't have anybody in California come calling? Yeah, I, I actually have no idea. Um, you were all I league. Was, yes. Your team won the championship, mm-hmm. CIF championship. Yep. So you got some pub. Yeah. People knew who you were. Mm-hmm. You could catch it, you, you know, you could catch everything. Mm-hmm. So talk to us. I mean, because I want those young men and those families listening in that, don't think their kid has a chance because he didn't get scholarship offers. I want them to hear what our conversation is about. Your heart, mm-hmm. your work ethic got you your scholarship, got you your stardom. This year is an unbelievable season as one of the premier, probably one of the top five receivers in the entire country. Um, uh, like I said, I mean, um, after we won the state championship, you know, I, I had this feeling like, oh, you know, this is what I needed to get my publicity out, to get that exposure I needed. Um, we won a state championship. We played against dudes that already had scholarships. So I'm like, okay, I have the film to put out, and the schools are going to start coming and start calling. And you played against Devin Lloyd, our yeah, illustrious I actually, linebacker. Yeah, That's I, played against, I played against Devin Lloyd and Terrell Burgess back Isn't in high school. Isn't that great? Yeah. So, <laughs> so keep going. Um, but, yeah, like I, I sent my tape out to a lot of schools, and um, a lot of them just didn't re- reply back to me. Or if they did, they always told me the same things. Like, oh, we already gave out all our scholarships. Or, oh, you're a little bit too slow. Um, but you know, you could walk on if you want to, but right now we're just, you're not what we're looking for. And I mean, I kind of took that personal cause there was a lot of hard work that went into that, that championship season. Um, actually in, that, in my high school, that was the first time we've ever won a state championship game, like wow. in the history of our school. Wow. And so, you know, I, you can ask any of my high school teammates, like all of us were bought in that year. Um, the year before we went to the championship, the, our actual like divisional championship game and we actually ended up losing. And so I remember when I was going into my senior year, all of our seniors, because we were juniors at that time, we said, we need to finish the mission. And that was our motto, finish the mission. I love it. And so we Got goosebumps, we, yeah, we, we were bought in. And so everybody was working hard. But me especially, like behind the scenes, I, I like a lot of people don't know this except myself. It's just like I was putting in a lot of extra work. I was doing like I would go to practice and then I would actually have a trainer that I would go train with right after practice just to make sure I could get that extra work in because – I wanted to go to college, but I didn't, the biggest thing is I wanted to get a free education. I didn't want my parents to pay for my tuition. Um, and so that's what was motivating and that was driving me. And so it was very crushing to, you know, get to that point. And I didn't get offers that I wanted. You know, I was grateful that Dixie State in Southern Utah offered me. But in my heart, I felt like I could play at a D1 school. I knew my own capabilities. I knew my talents. And I was like, I can compete with these dudes. And so, you know, it was kind of a setback moment for me, and it really humbled me. And because of that humbling experience, it kind of made me turn towards God. And then that's when I realized, you know, maybe a mission is the thing I have to do. Because growing up when I was a kid, I actually um, didn't plan on serving a mission. I grew up, uh, well, actually was a convert. Me and my mom converted to the LDS church. Um, And just growing up, I mean, I was kind of a go with the flow kind of kid growing up. Like if my parents told me I had to go to mutual or seminary, I would go, but I didn't want to go because of myself. Um, So I felt inadequate, but, you know, I felt like this was a moment where God was like, all right, you need to remember who comes first. You know what I mean? So that's why I decided to serve a mission. And honestly, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. So you went to Samoa. Yeah. Got to go back home. (laughs) I love it, man. I love it. So 
you went into the mission field as a boy and you came out as a man. Yeah. What happened? Oh, a lot. Like it could not fit in one podcast, the things that I experienced on my mission, but to like water it down, it's just, you learn to be independent really fast. Um, you got to mature really fast. You're out on your own. I mean, in my case, in a foreign country, I mean, I was of Samoan descent, but I actually didn't speak the language. I understood, but I couldn't really speak it. So, I mean, I had to learn a whole new language. I had to help people, you know what I mean? Teach them about Christ through acts of service or through going to church, anything like that. But you, you got to think about, you're 18 years old trying to talk to a bunch of grown people, and you're trying to tell them about Christ. You know what I mean? Like, you have no background. You have no professional, like, background or anything about that. So um, it kind of just goes to show, like, how much a mission just helps you mature. It's just the maturity level. And I felt that's what helped me even transition into college because I felt like there was no transition at all because I know a lot of freshmen talk about, like, oh, it was hard being away from home. It's like, well, try being away from home for two years and you only get to talk to them on Christmas and Mother's Day. <laughs> you got it. I agree. <laughs> so let's tie that into folks who are, who are not of our religious tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to go on an LDS mission to learn what you learned on your mission. Yeah. And the University of Utah football program is, is not – founded or grounded or or influenced by anyone's specific religious tradition mm-hmm. but the the, the the amazing reputation of Utah football program is the family feeling mm-hmm. you know converting T-E-A-M together everyone achieves more to F-A-M-I-L-Y family forget about me I love you and so what Witt and the gang the coaches they're famous for turning two-star athletes into four-star, three-star athletes into five-star. And where, where do you think you were coming out of high school? What star would they have put on your forehead? Uh, I, I don't even think they have a picture of me on the star list. I think it might say not applicable. <laughs> See, that's yeah, crazy. I don't think I had any stars coming out of high school. So you, bec- you, 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 you turned yourself into a four-star recruit by going on a mission, getting away, learning what you needed to learn. So what, what would you advise young men to do before they get out of high school to prepare themselves for the transition into college when they're not from your religious tradition, but they still need to learn what you learned on your mission that actually really did turn you from boy to man? Um, and like I said earlier, it's that theme of maturity. Um, I see it a lot in the freshmen that come in, like especially with me being in the program for the past four years, like, when I look at the freshmen that come in, I can just see the difference between the maturity levels of them and when I was, like, a freshman because I had that mission experience, you know. Um, they kind of come in. They were the best athlete on their team, you know what I mean? They didn't really have to work towards what they – like, everybody else wasn't as good as them. So they kind of were just like, I'll just show up to practice, I'll show up game day, I'll ball out. You know what I mean? College football is not like that at all, and they learn that really fast. And some people take it really well and some people take it really bad because some people don't – they can't embrace it because it's the f- it's uncomfortable. It's the first time they're ever dealing with something like this. So I see it in them. And, and, you know, if I had to give advice to, like, any of the young men that are coming up and are about to go to college, it's just being coachable. Like, it's people get the wrong idea of being coachable as being, like, a kiss-up. Like, oh, I always listen to coach, whatever. You, you, know, you know what, guys? Coach is right. You know what I mean? Like, they view that as bad, but it's like you got to realize, like, if you want to play, you have to be coachable. If the coaches don't trust you, you're not going to see the field, no matter how good you are. And I feel like if once freshmen learn that and get out of their little, like, bubble that's in their head and stop being thinking, like, oh, I'm the best, I'm the best, it's more so, like, okay, well, I have to keep working. I got to keep getting better. I got to keep doing this because the guy behind me is going to come up and take my spot if I don't, you know what I mean? So I feel like if 
Fred, I noticed that freshmen who learn that really fast end up playing on the field. And that's why you see guys like, you know, Cole Bishop or oh, Nate yeah. Ritchie when he, you know what I mean? Like guys like that, they came in, Clark Phillips, they came in, they were already mature. Yeah. Like you could just see it, and you see it on the field. Self-starters, like, self, self mm -hmm. they prove true. Yeah, and it's just not the talent itself. Like it's the coachability. That's the thing I try and to point out. And if you're disciplined, you don't mm -hmm. have to be motivated. So when the coach says jump, you say yes, sir. Yep, I'll exactly. And uh, to your to your work ethic, your fame, you come a little early, stay a little late. Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. Catch more balls than anyone at practice. Yep. Take it personal if somebody's out on the field longer than you. I love it. Kobe Bryant. <laughs> Mamba mentality. Yep. This podcast episode is brought to you by Siegfried & Jensen, one of the finest law firms in the Intermountain West and a definite supporter of the University of Utah football program. Okay, Mr. Vale, let's talk. So... Uh, you come off your mission, and now the world is your oyster. How do you choose the Utah program to walk on? Um, so I was, I, I, I mean, I got back from the mission. Um, I started trying to reach out to colleges again just to try to test my luck. Um, I was kind of uh, doubting my possibility, like my options of playing. I didn't think I would actually would play again. I was getting ready to just start going to school and getting my degree and just going on from there. Um, so I talked to a few schools, and, um, not a lot of them got back to me except two schools, which is BYU and Utah. Those are the only two schools that kind of got back to me. Um, and shout out to one of my, my I, I call him my uncle because, you know, in the Polynesian community, oh, yeah. you always call everybody uncle. But uh, Frank, he was uh, actually a GA on the Utah coaching staff. And I remember he gave me the opportunity through one of my cousins that I was staying with out here in Utah. Um, he sent in my film to the recruiting office, and they're like, hey, take a look at this kid. Just see if you if you could walk on. That's all I was asking for. I wasn't asking for a scholarship because, I mean, shoot, I just got off the mission. I haven't played ball in two years. I, I wasn't expecting a scholarship, but I just wanted to see if they would give me an opportunity. And, I mean, I gave them my film, and they were like, man, we haven't heard from you. Like, if we would have known about you in high school, it's like we would have offered you. And it's like, oh, I, I mean, I sent my tape, but, I mean, it's cool. I mean, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> But, uh, but, yeah, they were like, you don't even have to go to the tryouts. Like, you could just walk on right now. We start team uh, – well, it was actually in January. So, they were like, we have winter conditioning starting on this day, so just be here if you want to be a part of the school. And so it just went off from there. And, yeah. <laughs> and what Coach Rudy said behind your back and in front of you, <laughs> when I asked him, he said after they saw your work ethic and that you really did work, outwork anybody, diving for balls that oh, yeah. no one else could catch – they said, we need this kid on our team. And what Rudy said, which I think is so beautiful, we didn't know what position you were going to play. We just knew you were a baller. We knew <laughs> you were an athlete, and we'll fit you in somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then tongue-in-cheek, we all know Coach Whittingham never, ever recruits an offensive player. He <laughs> always looks at every player in the country, in the world, as a defensive player. Uh -huh. So you walk on and um, – Playing a couple of games, you keep catch two two passes for twelve yards. Whoa, that's a that's a hot stat. And yet they offered you a scholarship just after that minimal game time experience. So that talks about practice. Why do you love to practice so so much when so many guys say, "Hey, it's only practice." We know who's famous. Hey, it's only practice. Mm -hmm. And yet your rep is that you practice as hard or harder than you do in games. So the games really just kind of the reward for how yeah. hard you put in your work during the week mm -hmm. um yeah actually that story you was talking about with um dick graham you know i felt like i kind of resonated with that because i was the same way um as a walk-on you can't afford to like 
you can't be as good as the scholarship players. You have to exceed them in every aspect, whether that's in film study or just running routes or listening to the coach being coachable. You know what I mean? Like, if you're making plays that they're making, there's no way that you're going to get a scholarship. I mean, you have to go above and beyond, and that's how I viewed it. And in my eyes, I said, I noticed the scholarship players aren't diving for the ball. I'm going to die for the ball. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I took it personal. I'm like, okay, the passes I see them where they kind of let it just go over the head, and they're like, oh, I'm not going to reach that. Me, I would, I'm showing on film that I'm going to go for every single ball. And it's actually funny because that's actually what kind of set back my possibility of getting a scholarship because I actually broke my collarbone doing that. Oh, no. So uh, I actually found out, so during fall camp in 2019, I actually was supposed to get my scholarship then. But the day I actually was supposedly supposed to get it, I broke my collarbone diving for a catch during fall camp. And I, I made the catch, which is <laughs> which is great. But I remember when I hit the ground, the impact, I just felt a pop in my shoulder. But I didn't even know I broke it. So I got up over there jogging back to the huddle, like getting ready to run the next play. And then, like, usually, like, everybody's, like, saying good job and all that stuff. And I'm, like, I'm, like, trying to, like, clap my hands, like, uh, to break out the huddle. And I can't lift up my arm. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, like, oh. I, so I went over to the trainer. And sure enough, he was, like, oh, yeah, you broke your collarbone. <laughs> but, I mean, even after that, like, I can't tell you how many times I've injured myself diving for the ball. And the coaches keep telling me, they're like, you need to stop diving. Because, like, even the position I'm in now, they're like, okay, you're, you're a big-time player. We need you to, like, play smart. But it's hard for me to get out of that mindset because it's just like, if I don't do it in practice, I'm not going to do it in the game. You know what I mean? And that's how I kind of grew up. And then that's how I kind of, like, it was the foundation that I used to set up when I was a walk-on. And I don't want that to change just because I'm on scholarship. You know what I mean? I love it. And that's so, your reputation. Yeah. And so that's just kind of what I live by. And I just... I mean, that's always what I've focused on. And, like, even now, like, I'm trying to get back into my roots of doing that because I notice I've kind of fallen off a little bit. I'm not diving as often as I used to. I don't know if it's because the bones are getting a little bit older. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, I just – that's one thing I always remind myself and one thing my parents always taught me is just being humble and just remembering where you come from. You know what I mean? And I remember I came in as a walk-on. Like, I, I appreciate the publicity, the stardom. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's saying, like, oh, we love Vele and all that. But – you know, I, I will always remember that I was a walk-on, you know what I mean? And I don't want that to ever change because once I start getting comfortable, then that's when everybody starts passing you up. Yeah, so one of my great friends in the world is Rudy Rudiger. They made the movie Rudy. Mm -hmm. And his foundation awards the NCAA player, walk-on player of the year. I'm going to have to give him a little phone call here, my <laughs> friend. Just make sure he's aware of you and that you're on his radar because your story is phenomenal. <laughs> Okay, so <clears throat> I've shared this with other interviews, but I'm still fascinated by the statistic. I've interviewed all the top NFL coaches, uh, you know, and all the NCAA coaches, you know, the Nick Sabans, the Urban Myers of the world. They will tell us that winning or losing a football game boils down to six plays. Have you ever heard that? No, I actually haven't. So you come to the game with me on the ride to the game basically say, Clark, shut up, because I'm saying we got to look for the six plays, man. we got to look for the six plays. Then we're sitting there the whole game, and I'll always say, was that one of the six plays? Was that one of the six plays? And they want to stick a J-dog in my nose. <laughs> but on the ride home, the discussion is powerful. Okay, what were the six plays that determined winning or losing that game? Mm -hmm. And in the game against Arizona, it could be the, 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 the fumble on the, on, the, on the goal line. I won't any nude under the bus um, or it could be the fumble of the punt returner for Arizona when it started to rain and nobody in their right mind could have caught that ball because the piercing rain in your eyes but the fun experience about deciding what 
those six plays were and, and agreeing. But here's, here's why I'm bringing it up to you, Baylor. You block when you're not in the play. You run a pattern, and I watch you. You know, you watch, you, you, you run meticulous, disciplined patterns, even if you don't think you're going to get the ball. But what I want to ask you is, every time you line up, regardless if you're in the slot, regardless if you're a wide out, do you really believe that there's a chance you're going to get the ball? Do you really believe that it's a run and your block would make the difference so you better not ever take one of those plays off because you don't know what the six plays are going to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously nobody's perfect. There's going to be times where, like, I won't do that, and, you know, it ends up being the play where your guy makes the tackle, and that's the worst feeling you can ever have. Um, I actually had one of those in the Arizona game, like, the one play that I kind of like was a little bit lackadaisical on, he ends up making the play, and then it just kind of like snapped back in my head. I was like, all right, let's, let's get tidied up. Like, don't forget, like, what you got to do. Um, you know, that's one thing I, I just love about the offense that we run as well. Like, anybody can get the ball. You know, you got to truly believe that. Like, there's times where – and that's, like, one great thing I love about Cam too because there will be plays where Coach Led literally says, okay, this guy is literally just running for the love of the game. That's just the pattern. And then in practice, Cam will throw it to you, like, just because you're open. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, that's one of those things that just keeps you on your toes. Like, okay, every play that I run is like, oh, I should be, or I could be getting the ball. You know what I mean? And it's one of those things. I mean, me personally, it's something I've been working on this season. And obviously, I have a long way to go. I still have a lot of things I got to tidy up. But I want to get to the point to where it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, I could get the ball. It's like, I should be getting the ball. You know what I mean? I want the team the quarterback and everybody, even the coaches, to have that confidence in me to where when it's a play called, it's like, all right, it's going to him. You know what I mean? I feel like that's how it is when Brant and Dalton are on the field. And I want to be one of those guys. You know what I mean? Because when Dalton and Brant are on the field, it's always one of those things. It's like everybody in the stands, on the benches, on the other opposing team, they know it's going to them. You know what I mean? That's just how it is. And I always wanted to get to that point. Do I believe I'm at that point right now? I don't think so, but I'm, that's what I'm continually trying to work it's on. It's interesting how you didn't step up <clears throat> and make up the, the loss with Kincaid on the bench this week. Mm-hmm. With Keithy going down, you've been a major part of the offense all year long and getting you, you know multiple catches in a game, even when both of those guys were healthy. That's a compliment to you, and it validates what you're saying about the offense. It's like go through the progressions, mm-hmm. You know, Cam, I love watching him go from receiver to receiver. And then every once in a while, I see you wide open in the end zone, and he doesn't throw it to you. So I just <laughs> want to turn in my season tickets and say, come on, man, we got to get a better-looking quarterback. <laughs> Let's talk. So if um, we want to we get into your personal life a little bit. Uh, married? Yes. How did you meet her? What's the love story? Um, I actually met her. She So she goes to the U as well. Um I met her actually going to one of the one of my uncles works at like the educational offices and all that stuff. So I remember I was going to go visit him and I saw her over there. I thought she was really cute, but she kind of shut me down the first time I like saw her. Like I was I wasn't trying to like get at her or anything. It was just one of those like, oh, I've seen you around before. And she kind of just like mm, she kind of shrugged me off. I was like, all right, that's a sign. I should s- just stop right there. <laughs> um, but she ended up going to the same singles ward as I did. And then. You know, we just started talking, and then things kind of just took off from there. But, you know, she's been a great – one of the – not one of the greatest. She is the greatest blessing in my life. So um, cool. Just always being there and being supportive. And, you know, the marriage life is definitely not easy, but it's definitely worth it. You know, it's nice yeah. to come home to somebody who's 
always going to be on your side, no matter if the whole world is against you. Yep. You know what I mean? There's always going to, like, especially on those days where I felt like the like the, there's critics talking smack about the receivers or something I didn't do good and I just, the coaches aren't on my side. You know what I mean? And you start feeling like the whole world's bearing down on you. You come home and there's that one special lady that's always going to stand by your side. And, you know, that's a great feeling to have. Yep. I've been married for 42 years, man. Love that. Uh, yeah, she's a very fortunate woman. This is really important to talk about this. <laughs> so everybody wants to know what's your pregame routine, man. So if it's an early game, you wake up early, or if it's a late game, what, what do you do? What's the difference? Uh, do you listen to any kind of music? How do you get mentally fired up? Because obviously in the week, I don't need to belabor that point. You prepare and prepare, and that's your rep game. In the, in the training room, taking care of any sores, bumps, and bruises. So let's just talk about the game day. What do you do? Um, so it's actually been changing a lot lately, um, ever since I got married, actually, more so. But, um, I mean, before before I got married, it was more so, like, I listened to a lot of rap music, you know, anything to try to, like, get me going, turn up and everything. Um, I felt like it made me antsy. It made me, like, a little bit, out, like, off edge. Like, I was a little too anxious, and I felt like that made me make more mistakes because I was so anxious and how I was in my game prep and everything like that. So um, one thing I actually changed this year is a lot more calming. I'm a lot calmer during game day. Like um, instead of listening to rap music, I actually listen to a lot of old school music. I actually, growing up in San Diego, there's a station called 92.5, Magic 92.5. I used to listen to all the time with my parents and I used to play all the oldies like Luther Vandross, uh, the Bee Gees, Earth, Wind & Fire, you know. Um, the whispers, yeah. You're bringing so, tears to my yeah, eyes. Yeah, so dude. I actually, I actually listen to that kind of music before the games because not only is it like it puts me in a good mood. Like obviously, when you listen to those boogie tunes, you know you get in a good mood. Um, so it kind of makes it more fun, but it also relaxes. I feel like it calms my nerves a lot. Like I'm not so like, oh, I gotta hit somebody. It's more so like, shoot, I got a football game on a Saturday. Like you, that, you know what I mean? Like your head bobbing. You're just like, yeah, I'm just kind of vibing right now. <laughs> And, um, you know, and then especially with being married now, it's like it's not just about me anymore. So I don't really like because I, <laughs> I'm not calling out any of the married guys or anything <laughs> on our team. But it's like uh, I notice a lot of them don't go say hi to their families when it's around game time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I mean, I, it's respectable. Like you're trying to get ready for the game. Even the coaches say don't let your family be a distraction. But I mean, I see it myself as this is who I'm playing for. You know what I mean? So when I get off the bus, the first person I go to is I go straight to my wife. Yep. I give her a hug. I give her a kiss. And I say hi to my mom and my dad, my, everybody that's coming to support me. And then, like, even when I when it we get onto the It would mean so field. much more to your wife if you took out your teeth guard first, though. <laughs> just just saying. I'm just trying to coach you a little bit here, bro. <laughs> but, yeah, even, like, when we get on the, uh, like on the field, the pregame warm-up, Instead of me just kind of doing my own warm up, I'll actually just go to the sidelines because she'll have a she'll, she'll just be on the sideline yeah. with a pass, and I'll just go and talk to her, you know, just tell her like, oh, how are you feeling? She'll ask me like, how are you feeling about this game? How does it look? And I'll tell her I was like, you know, I'm feeling a little nervous, but you know what I mean. I feel like it's a lot more calming, and then because of that, I've noticed a change in my game because it's more so like, I feel like I'm settling in into the game rather than me just trying to like attack it and then like if it hits me back, I'm, like, shocked, you know what I mean? It's more so, like, I'm ready. I feel like I could take on anything that comes, whether it's good or bad. And I just feel like that's kind of been the change in my game plan, prep. so. I love it. You know, I've flown all the fighter jets, all the bombers in the Air Force. And when you when you fly a fighter jet and catch 9.4 Gs and go twice mm. the speed of sound, and you land, and I asked my pilot, so how did we fly this magnificent high-tech machine? He said, by feel. I said, what do you mean? He said, you become the plane. I said, what do you mean? 
He said, when you climbed up the ladder and slid into the cockpit, did you strap into the F-18 or did you strap the F-18 onto you? Go watch Maverick, Top Gun Maverick. I already it's, did. It's not, <laughs> it's not the plane, it's the pilot. Don't yeah. think, do. That's what you're teaching me here, my friend. Okay, <laughs> so Dr. Henshin, he was our sports psychologist, so world famous since passed away when I was playing up at the U. And I used to return kickoffs and punts, too. We had the same tall guy, too. <laughs> And what did you say before? You're like the tallest. Yeah, I didn't even the, know in that, the world, yeah, not just in the NCAA, yeah, but in the NFL. That's what Coach Witt told me. So I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm taking it verbatim from him. So, <laughs> but Dr. Henson helped me understand because you know, on film, I'd be fixing my pads, and, you know, combing my hair and my helmet like Cam Rising does, and you know, doing all those things, and I'd waste, I'd, I'd lose like 40 pounds of water weight or nervousness before he ever kicked it. <laughs> And he gave me the metaphor of a rubber band that you just hold in your hand and it's completely loose, especially for a kickoff. And so as you see them starting to line up, you start to stretch that rubber band. You start to stretch it. And so as soon as his foot hits that ball, it's maxed out and you let go. Catch the ball and you're, you're gone. So how do you prepare mentally to go out for a pass if it's raining if whatever the case may be, how do you forget the last play, just focusing on your pattern, on your responsibility, whether it's block, run, or, or pass? Tell us how you focus and block out all the distractions just to make it all about you right now being present in the moment. Uh, it's actually a great point you're bringing up right now. It's actually something I've been working on. Um, I'm not saying I've arrived or come up with a solution. It's actually something I'm working on right now. You know what I mean? Like people always want to ask, what are the players thinking, you know, in game? It's like, well, I'm about to give you the spill right now. It's just, I mean, me personally, I'm a big perfectionist. Like, that's just how I am. I grew up like that. So it's like, oh, when I have a drop pass, it gets to me really bad. Like, I, that's just how I am. And so, like, Arizona, for example, there was a pass in the end zone where I could have caught the ball. The defender made a good play, but it's one of those things. It's like, I, like I said earlier, touch my hands, I should have caught it. And I make catches like that in practice. You know what I mean? So I remember that when that happened, I was jogging back, and I was starting to get in my head. I'm like, dang, like, I just missed my opportunity. Now we're going to have to run the ball because, you know, I'm the only guy out there that should have made the play, and then I, I let the team down. And um, it's very hard to try to stay positive, but it makes a world of a difference when you do. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's definitely worth it because I remember after that happened, I started getting in my head. I'm like, see, now people are going to say, like, this is why we need Dalton. This is why we need Brent. You know what I mean? People who always make the plays, and it's like, but then I was like, you know, I just I need to get that one catch in and I can get my confidence start going back in. Um, and it sounds selfish, but it's like that's just how I get my motor going. You know what I mean? It's like because I want to do anything I can to help the team win. You know what I mean? And when I drop a pass, it affects me so much because I'm like, damn, I just let let down the whole entire like you know, we ran this play because of for me to get the ball and I let down everybody. You know what I mean? So um, this is something I've been working on. But I just know that the thing that keeps me going is just like. That was one play out of what every game we probably run about seventy eight plays, yep, eighty plays, yep. and so it's like that's one play out of eighty plays. You have seventy nine other chances to make up for that one miss. You know what I mean? And I noticed, especially with this season, if you get in your head and get those like mistakes out early, and you kind of just like brush it off, it's so much better because then you can get the momentum going. Because the worst thing you can do is keep getting in your head and it just snowballs. 
then you drop another pass, then you miss a block, then you start dropping passes, then then you start getting in your head, you start jogging, then you know what I mean, and that's when the coach sees your body. You remember out of those 78 or 80 plays, the average play lasts five seconds, and you have about 25 seconds to think about it in between the plays. Mm-hmm. So if you can't control the negative and start thinking po- positive and start getting everything out of your head, it could be a disaster waiting yeah. to happen. So that's what all of us need to work on. Oh, yeah, you know, no matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future. You can't always control what happens, but you can always control what happens next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Siegfried and Jensen, a name you can trust, not just in the legal profession in representing us in an accident, but obviously supporting our student athletes on and off the field. Siegfried and Jensen, thank you very much. Okay, so in the NIL world of name, image, and likeness, tell us how we can get a hold of you. Tell us how we can support you. Do you have, like, a, a, a social media handle that we need to know? I mean, you know, stud 14, stud 17. Come on, baby. What's man, to, I'm actually, I'm me, not going to lie to you. I'm a little bit of an old soul. I'm not really big on social media. I'm, huh? I'm kind of, uh, I like just being in the moment, kind of being with my family. Um, I don't go on social media that much. Like, I don't even have an Instagram. I have mm-hmm. a Twitter, but I only kind of have a Twitter for NIL opportunities. Yeah. You know what I mean? But. I, you don't really see me posting a lot. I don't really uh, post on Twitter at all. Like, I'll comment to some people because, you know, especially with fans when they try to reach out and, like, say, like, oh, like, we appreciate you for – or, like, I, like one thing I take into consideration, too, like, sometimes I run into fans. Like, I ran into a fan in Handles. Like, I was getting ice cream with my wife, and yeah. I ran into a fan, and he was like, oh, can we get a picture? Like, we really don't want to bother. It's like, oh, no, it's totally fine. You know what I mean? Like, these guys are making – like, they're spending so much money to come support us. Like, it's the least you can do is just take a picture with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not – like I said, I'm not big on social media, but um, this NIL thing is new to me. Um, that's why I have my wife. She helps me a lot. Yeah, you know, Like, I'll get the contracts and all that stuff, and I'll read it over, and I'm like, oh, it sounds good. And my wife will read it. She's like, did you know this part? And you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's why I'm like, I'm so grateful you're here because, like, yeah, I would have so missed that. Or, like, that. I just look at, the like, the numbers, and I'm not really paying attention to the fine print. And <laughs> But, um, like I said, I'm, I'm trying my best to get accustomed to this. It's new to me. Um, it's, it's definitely different because I'm not, it's hard to explain, like, because of how I grew up with being humble, like, it's hard for me to try to put myself out there and talk about myself. Like, it feels weird to me because, like, my parents always taught me about humility. And shoot, I learned it on my mission, too. And it's, like, one of those things where I just see it as, like, I never want to make it all about me. You know what I mean? So that's why this NIO thing is a little bit hard for me to, like, kind of wrap my head around because it's, like, I don't like just talking about me. Like, I always want to point it. It's like, oh, my wife helps me. Like, my mom and dad got me here. You know what I mean? Like, I like putting the spotlight to other people because it's like, it's not just about me because it's not like I did this all on my own. There's a whole village that helped me prepare for this moment. That's why we all need to support uh, Devon Vele. We need to get behind him because he's so humble. He's not in the mood to help himself, so we're going to help this guy. And when you get that huge NFL contract, which you will, which you'll deserve, I hope you'll remember me when you're rich and famous. Oh, of course. I, this is probably one of the best you're podcasts I've been a part of. It's so fun. You're just such a dude. <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, Power Players with Dan Clark, Devon Vele, number 17. And I want you to listen to this and then share it with every single young man and young woman in high school who needs to understand that When you see an elite athlete on the field, you see so much more than muscle and bone going through motion. You see heart, sacrifice, work ethic, and you see the perfectionism that isn't always so bad when you feel bad when you drop a pass. If you don't feel bad, there's something wrong. 
And if you uh, can celebrate the victories and let go of the learning lessons through defeat, you become a fine young man like you have. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mama and Dad is so proud. <laughs> Thank you. And so, so proud to be a youth because of Devon Bailey. You have a good day. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.